Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Ryan, and we're going to be reading from Matthew 27 and 28 this morning. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles that's on the chairs, that can be found on page 856. Uh, before we open the word, though, um, let's pray to God. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, the written word of Scripture that's open before us, but more importantly, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we read the Easter story, that word made flesh, Jesus, is exalted and glorified. Amen. Uh, so Matthew 27, beginning at verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say to his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, wonderful to have some of your family here uh, from the States. Uh, good morning. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. Uh, happy Easter. He is risen. Ah, oh, well done. Um, uh, we're going to look at that passage that's just been read for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, but how about we pray as we come to God's Word? Father God, we thank you for this day where we remember Jesus risen 
We pray that uh, you would be at work by your spirit now as I speak and your word is opened. Uh, Please remove distractions and may you speak to our hearts and change our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, there are some truths that really don't matter. Uh, They're really not that important. It doesn't matter if they were true or not. Uh, So, for example, on Jupiter or Saturn, apparently it rains diamonds. Uh, Doesn't really matter if that's true or not. We can't really get them. Not yet, anyway. Um, Apparently, otters hold hands while they're sleeping so they don't drift apart. That's beautiful, isn't it? I love otters. It doesn't really matter if it's true or not, right? Um, Apparently, the shortest war in history lasted 38 minutes. Some kind of random war on an island of Zanzibar. It doesn't really matter how long it took, but there you go. Um, Apparently, the, the oldest piece of chewing gum that exists to get today, 9,000 years old. Some kind of archaeological finding. Doesn't really matter, does it? Um, a group of flamingos is called a flamboyance, if anyone didn't know that, just, just so you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I've really changed anyone's world right now, um, but otters are pretty cute. Uh, but some truths, they're really important, right? Truths like, the truth that all human lives are worthy and of equal worth and equal dignity. The, the truth that the Holocaust actually happened, that's really important, right? Whether or not humans are causing the planet to warm up, that's really important that we work out whether that's the case, right? And including the truth of Easter, the truth that is the reason for us gathering here today on Easter Sunday. The truth that Jesus rose from the dead. It's one of those really important truths. Because all of Christianity stands or falls on whether what we just read is a fairy tale, a hoax, a lie, or whether it is true. Whether Jesus really did rise from the dead. The Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he writes this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see what's on the line here? If this isn't true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, well, we may as well throw in the towel and go home and eat chocolate. If if this isn't true, then the apostles are false witnesses. We are still in our sins. Those who have died in Christ... lost if it's only for this life we have hope in Christ we are to be pitied if Christ is not raised then we've been caught up in the biggest hoax in history it's estimated that around a billion people in the world believe that Christ rose from the dead but if it's all a lie 
then we're wasting our time. But if Christ has been raised, if he has, if it's true, well, that changes everything, right? It means someone has defeated death, our worst enemy. It means there is hope beyond the grave. It means that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the one who has power to forgive sins, the one who has power to bring us back to life, the son of man who will one day come on the clouds and judge the whole earth, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom that will never end. It means our faith is in something real, something powerful, and it means those of our loved ones who have died trusting in Christ, we will see them again. We will rise with them in glory if we trust in Jesus. And it also means the Bible is trustworthy. If Jesus is raised, then the apostles' testimony is true. And it it means that we need to take this news to the world and say, hey, someone's conquered death. You know that thing you fear the most? It's been dealt with. Jesus is alive. Come to him, find life in him before it's too late. Do you see how important this truth is? Christianity stands or falls on whether Christ rose from the dead. But it's, it's pretty far-fetched, right? I mean, people don't just rise from the dead. Uh, that would take, I don't know, some kind of divine intervention, some kind of supernatural miracle, right? Well, that's exactly what's recorded in the passage we read before. A crazy, divine, supernatural miracle from God. Jesus came alive again, never to die again. And yet we see two very different responses to this amazing miracle, don't we? And as we look at these responses, I want us to look at ourselves. Because what would it take for me to reject something, even though the facts are there staring me in the face? And on the other hand, what would it take for me to believe something that I just never thought were possible? Because that's what we see here. The Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, no matter what facts they're presented with, they refuse to entertain the possibility that they were wrong about Jesus. They were wrong to kill Jesus. And on the other hand, the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, probably James and John's mum, if you're interested, a truth that probably doesn't matter that much, But the two Marys, they become convinced of something that just seems impossible, right? A man rise from the dead, never never to die again. How is that possible? My hope today is that we might become convinced, just like the two Marys, of something that just seems so impossible. And my hope is that we won't reject the facts that are standing right in front of us. But we might be convinced of something as outrageous as this idea that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And for those of us who are already convinced, my hope is that we would deepen in our conviction of this great truth so that the resurrection hope of Jesus might permeate every facet of our life and our being. So let's begin with the Jewish leaders. Um, So despite the fact staring them in the face, they remain unconvinced. In fact, they are unconvincible. It's not actually a word in the English language, but they're unconvincible. They've put Jesus in a box. Uh, Did you see what they called Jesus in verse 63? It'd be helpful to have the Bible open in front of you so you can follow along. Uh, Verse 63 of chapter 27, 
They call Jesus that deceiver. See, they're thinking, oh, we're the custodians of the, the Jewish religion. And this pretender claimed to be the Messiah. He led many astray. And the crowd started welcoming him, welcoming him into Jerusalem. And, and we rescued the crowds from this deception. We put an end to this deceiver by convincing the Romans and the crowd to have him crucified. But unfortunately, the job's not done. There's this new threat looming uh, because apparently he told his disciples he would rise again after three days. And so what if the disciples came and steal the body? Then this false Messiah could be immortalized. Things could get out of hand. This last deception would be worse than the first. So they go back to Pilate and Pilate is afraid too. But Pilate's approach to things is to stay out of things as much as possible. Uh, so just as he handed responsibility to, for Jesus' crucifixion over to the crowds, uh, Pilate hands over responsibility for guarding the tomb to the Jewish leaders. See there in verse 65. Here he says, take the guard, you guys go, make this tomb as secure as you know how. He gives responsibility to them. And so the Jewish leaders, they take a bunch of soldiers, they seal the stone in front of the tomb, probably with wax or clay, archaeologists think, uh, but it backfires, right? The next day, there's an earthquake, and shortly after, the guards come running back to the Jewish leaders, these hardened soldiers, and they're white as a sheet. They're blubbering about an empty tomb and, and this bright, shining angel that wrenched the stone off the front. And, and the, the angel speaks to these women that Jesus is risen. Well, what do you do with that as a Jewish leader? Surely you, you question the guards, right? Oh, there must be some misunderstanding. Like maybe you just, did you guys get drunk or something? Or uh, maybe just got freaked out by the earthquake and the sun was in your eyes? But no, this was undeniable. There's multiple witnesses, all of them saying the same thing. And they're shaking, they're freaking out. It's written all over their faces. They're telling the truth. Despite every effort for them to prevent it, the tomb is empty. It's undeniable. But the idea that Jesus could actually have miraculously come back from the dead is just not an idea that these leaders are willing to entertain. See, despite the facts right in front of them, the one thing the Jewish leaders could never do was admit that they were wrong. They had their minds made up about Jesus. He was a deceiver, a pretender, a liar, and no empty tomb, no earthquakes or angels, nothing would convince them otherwise. It mustn't be true. It can't be true. That would be unthinkable because it would mean that they, the, the most zealous leaders of God, they just killed God's anointed. They can't cope with the idea that it could be real. So they bribe the guards to fabricate a lie about the body being stolen. And with so much irony, so much hypocrisy, they themselves become the very thing they were trying to protect, protect the crowds from. Deceivers. They deceive the people in order to prevent the truth getting out. They fabricate a deception to cover up facts about the one they called the deceiver. Do you see the irony? Now, it's easy to point the finger at the Jewish leaders and say, what hypocrites? But how confident are you that you wouldn't have done the exact same thing in their situation? See, we like to think we're open-minded, but when push comes to shove, so often we find rays around the truth 
to get what we really want, right? We're about to start a series in the book of Romans. I can't wait. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And at the start of Romans, Paul talks about where the heart of human rejection comes from. Uh, Sorry, human rejection of God comes from. Uh, What sits behind our sin? It says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Do you see what it's saying? All the godlessness and wickedness of people, all of our rejection of him and his good ways, it comes from us suppressing the truth about God. Notice it's not from doubting the truth or questioning the truth or lack of access to the truth or being unconvinced by the truth. No, our rejection of God comes from suppressing the truth. It's something that we do in response to the truth. See, the, it's suppressing the truth that is plain to see. As plain as an angel in gleaming white sitting on a rock in front of an empty tomb. See, Romans 1.18 is exactly what the Jewish leaders are doing here. They're suppressing the truth. Suppressing it to themselves, refusing to consider that they might be wrong, and suppressing it to others, trying to hide the truth from others so that this doesn't get out. See, if you're here today and you're not sure whether Jesus rose from the dead, can I say that's totally understandable? It seems impossible, right? But just make sure that you're not rejecting it because you haven't actually examined the facts with an open mind. That you're not actually suppressing the truth. Maybe you're afraid of what you might need to let go of if it were true. Maybe you feel like you're so far from God that it's just not thinkable that it it could all be true because how could you face everything you've done in rejection of him? Maybe you're so invested in your current understanding of the universe that any possibility that you could be wrong, it's just not something you're willing to entertain. Well, can I urge you, don't write off Jesus before you've considered the possibility that it might be true. If you come to it with an open mind, you might be surprised how compelling the evidence is. Uh, Lee Strobel, he was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an atheist. But his wife got invited to church. She went along uh, and she became a Christian. And so in an effort to try and disprove Christianity, to try and persuade his wife not, not to follow this superstitious religion, he interviewed a bunch of Christian academics and asked them all the tough questions. He, he used all his legal and investigative skills. He asked the toughest questions he could, expecting to show Christianity for the hoax that it was. But it turned out the deeper he dove, the more he thought would be a baseless faith based on turning off the mind and just believing. It was actually grounded on some pretty plausible and quality evidence that withstood rational examination. And so Lee Strobel gave his life to Jesus. And since then, he's been sharing his investigations and his interviews, and God has used Lee Strobel to bring thousands of people to come to know Christ, to come to believe in the truth of the resurrection. And I'm one of those people. Uh, A friend gave me one of his books uh, to read one summer. Uh, Two months later, I was transformed from skeptic 
to Believer. Uh, if you'd like a copy of one of his books, by the way, just put it on your comment card. I'd be happy to send it to you uh, for a friend or for yourself. Uh, it's not got all the answers, but it's some really helpful answers. But don't be like the Jewish leaders. Unconvincible. Come to Jesus. Come to the resurrection story with an open mind. Don't write him off before you've begun. Because as far-fetched as it sounds, the reason that Christianity has stood the test of time is that people knew, people who knew him were utterly convinced that Jesus really had risen from the dead. Uh, and the first to be convinced were the two Marys mentioned in our passage. Uh, so what did it take? Let's have a think about what did it take for the two Marys to be convinced? They had seen Jesus die an agonizing death. They'd watched Joseph put his body in a tomb and roll a huge stone over it. And now they're returning to his tomb, probably with some embalming spices to preserve the body because they didn't get to do it on the Sabbath the day before. And the tomb has been sealed. There are soldiers guarding it. Imagine if you were one of these women. You'd seen Jesus die. You'd seen his dead body, cold as stone. What would convince you that Jesus had risen. That would take some kind of crazy miracle, right? And all of a sudden there's this earthquake and an angel appears in gleaming white. He rolls back the stone and he's sitting there on the stone and he tells them, he's not here. Check out the tomb. It's empty. Go and tell his, gospel, uh, his disciples to, to go to Galilee and meet the risen Jesus. Well, I reckon that's a pretty convincing start, right? If you saw that, that's pretty convincing. So they obey the angel and they run off to tell the disciples. But did you see their fear? Well, their fear and joy in verse 8. They're afraid yet filled with joy. They're overjoyed at the possibility that this could be true, that somehow Jesus could have risen from the dead. But at the same time, they're afraid. Maybe they're wondering, how can this be? How can this be possible? But in their fear and doubt, Jesus himself comes to them. Not just a vision of Jesus. No, in physical reality, he comes to them. His heart was dead. It had stopped beating. There was no blood pumping through his veins. And now he's standing there before them alive. So they fall on their faces before this amazing man. They grab hold of his feet. They see him. They hear him. They touch him. There's no doubt about it. He's alive. Now, you might be thinking at this point, well, it's easy enough for the two Marys, right? They got to see Jesus in the flesh. But come with me just a little bit further forward. There's not much left of Matthew. But jump forward to verse 16. Chapter 28, verse 16. Uh, Jesus has appeared on this mountain. There's the people there worshiping. Uh, it says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, verse 16, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Hold a second. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. See, some people saw the risen Jesus with their very own eyes, and yet they still doubted. It reminds me of a parable that Jesus tells in Luke's gospel, uh, one of the other accounts of uh, Jesus' life and teaching. In Luke 16, Jesus tells this hypothetical story about a rich man 
who dies and he's being tormented in hell. And he begs Abraham to send someone back to tell his family so they don't end up there. And Abraham gives this chilling response. They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. See, being there and even seeing Jesus with your own eyes, it's no guarantee that you would have believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Because as we've already seen with the Jewish leaders, we humans have a tendency to suppress the truth when it's not convenient, when we're afraid of the consequences, when we don't want to hear it. Now, if I had more time, I, I would look at the evidence that persuades me that the resurrection is true. And if you want to know more evidence, if you want more arguments about this rational thing that, that Lee Strobel uncovered or, or uncovered for himself, at least, it's not a new thing. There's, there's been discussion about the resurrection for centuries now. And now we live in the information age. You can access all of this right now if you want. Don't do it now, but do it after. But no one's disproved the resurrection yet. No one's come up with a shutdown argument. No one's produced the body of Jesus. And plenty of very smart, very well thought out people believe it's true. Not just a nice idea to base your life around, a truth. But for most people, evidence is not the problem. The problem's not up here. It's in here. We don't need more persuasive evidence. We need a change of heart. Rather than let our fears drive us, and close our minds. We need to stop suppressing the truth. We need to come to God with an open mind and to seek him with all our heart. It's a promise from scripture. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you shall find. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. It's what God says to you. If you're unconvinced, if you're doubting, why not try out that promise? Seek him with all your heart. And see what happens. Let God open your eyes to the truth about Jesus. And if you're here today and you do believe in the resurrection, the question is, are you embracing that truth? Or like the people who remain unconvinced, are you suppressing that truth? Have you let the resurrection truth work its way deep down inside your soul so it changes everything you do and every way that you see the world. See, we might cognitively be persuaded that Jesus rose from the dead. We might say we believe it if asked, but so often it has little or no effect on our lives, doesn't it? So often it's hard to distinguish those who believe in the resurrection with those who have no idea or completely reject it. Perhaps we're afraid that if we seek first the kingdom, we might miss out on something that the world has to offer. So we live as though this life is all there is, just in case. Clinging on to fleeting pleasures or possessions, forgetting that eternal glory lies before us. Perhaps we fear death rather than longing to be with Christ who defeated death. Perhaps we're afraid to stand up for Jesus when it's hard or to share our faith with those around us because we forget that Jesus is with us and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. 
brothers and sisters, we're so afraid of so many things that we don't need to be afraid of because Jesus is alive. And as he says to the women, don't be afraid. So stop suppressing the truth about the resurrection. Let the risen Lord Jesus drive out your fears so you boldly live for him. There is no greater calling than that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are alive. You are reigning over heaven, over earth right now. And you are returning on a day that we do not know to judge the world and to judge each of us according to what we've done. So we come before you humbly. We repent of suppressing the truth about you. We repent of not living your way. We ask that you would forgive us. We thank you that on the cross you bought that forgiveness. And I pray for any here who might be hearing these things for the first time or in a new way that you might be speaking to them now by your spirit, showing them that they have been hiding from you and your truth. I pray that you might bring people from death to life even now, that they would confess their sin and believe that Jesus rose from the dead. May you do that work, Lord. And for those of us who already believe, Lord, help us to not suppress this truth either, but to let it deeply change us. That we would see the world with new eyes, see the world the way that you see it in this post-resurrection age where eternal glories await, where this world is fleeting, but there are souls that are far from you that you are calling to yourself. Please use us in that work, Lord. Give us eyes to see. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs, uh, which is really like an anthem for God's people in this resurrection age, that our hope is in Christ. In Christ alone, our hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Uh, so once they're ready, we'll stand and sing.